I will never, ever forget the time we were hanging out with our family, and I, it was, there was extended family involved, and I will not reveal which extended family member said this. <laughs> we'll protect their identity, but we're all hanging out, you know, and we all got kids, and one of the extended family members, the parents said, man, I am ready for some adult entertainment. We all looked at her like, she said, oh, no, I just mean I'm tired of cartoons. You know, I'm tired of SpongeBob and, and Thomas the Train. That, that's what I meant. But every time we hang with her now, we remind her of that moment. In that same vein, I'm going to tell you this morning that I'm going to preach a dirty sermon. <laughs> it's the parable of the sower the seed and the soils. Jesus is going to take his crowd into a parable all about what kind of soil is the soil of your heart. But before I do that, I want to set the stage because in the next chapter of Luke, he's going to send the 12 out on their own mission on his behalf to spread the good news of the kingdom. And as Justin and I unpacked this this week, we we were looking at the fact and, and he brought out that Some of what Jesus is doing here is he's preparing the 12 for the mission that he's about to send them on. And in chapter 8, we see that all through the chapter. In this parable, we're going to see how Jesus is is setting the expectations for these 12. What can you expect when you go out and spread the seed? And then after that, in chapter 8, he's going to define who's on my team. And then through three miracles where Jesus shows his power over nature over demons and in another setting, he's going to show them, you can really trust me. But along the way, as he sets those expectations, he's going to ask them to wrestle and ask us to wrestle with a question. How will you respond to the living word of God today? When you hear the living, breathing word of God, how will you respond? Let's set the stage. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, after this, remember the last story was the sinful woman anointing his feet. After this happened, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's about to go on his second preaching tour. He went on one earlier in the book of Luke, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits, and diseases. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Seven demons. Now she's following him. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. This is cool because she's aristocracy from Herod's household of all places, following Jesus. And we know something about Joanna. She was faithful because later on we learned that she was there at the cross when many of his disciples were hiding. She was there at the empty tomb. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now something cool about this, usually Jewish rabbis didn't talk to women. But Jesus is progressive in his culture, showing that women are equal with men. You remember the common mindset. It was played out even by his own disciples earlier in his ministry. He's sitting at at the well talking to the woman And the disciples come back, and you remember what it says? It says they're all wondering to himself, why is he speaking with a woman? 
Because women are equal and they have a valid part in the kingdom of God. But now we're going to jump into this parable where he's going to set the expectations for his 12 as they're about to go out. He's going to set those expectations and cause us all to wrestle with that question I mentioned. How will I respond to the word of God today? Setting is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, so you can imagine the sound of water and the wind and the smell of that water as it blows in. They're sitting there listening. A large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now that story he just told would have resonated with those people. Some have said that in that area around the Sea of Galilee, it's not that unlikely that maybe even as he was speaking, they could have looked off to the side and seen a sower scattering his seed. And Jesus tells this beautiful story as he often did. I want you to imagine you and I have the luxury of Jesus explaining this later on as we're going to unpack to his disciples. If you were just in that large crowd that day, what would you be thinking at this moment? What would you be taking away from his story? It's, it's hard to do because we've got the advantage of looking back. They've only heard the story. And he says something interesting at the end. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Is Jesus talking about just have your physical ears open and let the sound vibrate off your eardrum? No, when Jesus says that, he's saying, let this truth sink in. Be receptive to it. Let it change your life. Verse 9, his disciples, maybe a later moment alone, come to him and say, what does this parable mean? His answer is interesting. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is hard news from Jesus, because it sounds like on the one hand, he's trying to break it down and help his disciples understand more, but he's trying to obscure it from other people. What's going on here? Well, Matthew, when he tells us this parable, he adds the detail that many of the people's hearts were hard. And I want to tell you, if you have a prideful, hard heart towards the word of God, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be, not, not a hopeless place. But the more you reject the truth of God that you start to sense, maybe that's true, but I want nothing to do with it. I'm not talking about honestly seeking, but you hear the word of God and you decide, I don't like that because it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that because that will cause me to change my life. The more you reject that, the more it becomes obscured to you. 
We saw this in the Old Testament with Pharaoh, right? Moses and Aaron kept going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. It says, Pharaoh hardened his heart to the word of God through Moses. But other places it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was, it was a both and. So we want to be very careful that we don't pridefully reject the word of God. How you respond to the word of God today is huge. These disciples want to know more, and I hope that's where we're at in our mindset towards the word of God. I want to know more, Jesus. I want to know more, Holy Spirit. Show me what this means for me this morning. Show me what you want to do in my life and help me to obey you. So he goes on to explain it to them. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. You remember Hebrews said the word of God is living and active. You think of all that explosive power in a little seed to to grow a huge tree or a huge plant. The word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now a lot of us read this and we say, what's up with the path? Well, back in that day, they didn't always have fences between their fields and often there would be a path that the farmer would walk on. You say, why would he even scatter seed there on the path? Well, these days we usually plow first and then scatter the seed, right? Common practice back then was to scatter the seed everywhere and then go out and plow. That helps us understand why he might even scatter some seed there. This path is hard because it's hard before he comes to plow, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. You had that moment in your life where you've shared the good news of Jesus with someone you love? You think about it's a family member or a friend and, and you lay it out there and they just flat out reject it, crushed it, not interested. You say, man, maybe I should start to think more about who I share this with. And what I want to say based on what Jesus says in, the, in his word and what it says right here, no, no, no. You scatter that seed everywhere, okay? John Quincy Adams served our country in a time when slavery was still thought highly of by many people. And he would go repeatedly to the Congress of the United States telling them this should not be a practice in the land of the free. And he was repeatedly shut down by the Congress of the United States. Somebody asked him, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep sharing in Congress when they shut you down repeatedly? And John Quincy Adams, a strong man of faith, said this. He said, duty is ours. Results are God's. I like that. I like that when I think about our role to spread the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Duty is ours. Results are God's. Keep that in mind. Verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, it's pretty clear with the first one and the fourth one, right? One of the things we all wonder when we read this parable, who's saved in the story, right? Okay, we're pretty certain that the first, we could be 100% certain that the first person is not saved. They didn't receive the word at all, okay? 
The fourth one, we're positive they are. Produces a crop 30, 60, 90, 100 times. These second two have confused scholars over the centuries. And you read 10 scholars, you may get 10 different answers. Where I came after, after looking at this parable is these middle two may be saved. They may not be saved. It could be both. And we're going to break that down a little bit. But here's the thing when we go through this parable. Many of our temptations is to read this and start to apply it to all the people around us. Like, oh, that's so-and-so. That, that's my wife. That, that's my co-worker right there. And what I think Jesus would say to our hearts this morning is don't get so caught in that trap. He wants us to ask the question, how will I respond to the word of God today? If you haven't come to Jesus, how will you respond to the message of good news? If you have come to Jesus, how will you respond to how he's leading you this morning? Let's keep that in mind. We'll read that again. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. What's what's going on here? You've all heard the phrase, easy come, easy go. (laughs) That's some of what you see here. Sometimes some of the most explosive emotional responses to something are also the most quickly turned around. You've seen that? You've seen that? That's some of what Jesus is talking about. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Warren Wiersbe says this, Sun is good for plants if they have roots. Persecution can deepen the roots of a true Christian, but it only exposes the shallowness of the false Christian. You remember what had happened in the parable, right? The seed went in, but there were rocks underneath and it couldn't grow much root. So the sun beat down on it and it died. That sun, same sun would have been great for them if they had deep roots, but, but they didn't. I want to give you a couple biblical examples of people who claimed to believe but didn't have a saving faith in Jesus, okay? Because that's a possibility. Do you know that? You can profess to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can profess to believe in him and not truly have made that step. Uh, John 2, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was doing a lot of signs. Verse 23, it says, While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. You stop there and think, wow, they're good. But the next verse is interesting. It says, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. Jesus, why won't you entrust yourself to them? It says they believed in you. What was going on? Most believed that they believed in him as a magician, as someone who could do great tricks. They hadn't come to him and said, I trust in you as the one I need for life. I, I, I trust in you. They hadn't taken that step. There are some like that. There are others who, who love the good parts. They'd love to go to places that preach lies. Hey, you believe in Jesus, you'll always be rich. You believe in Jesus, you'll always be healthy. But then they start to get the hard truths of the gospel and they run away. That happened in Jesus' ministry. You remember? He fed a large crowd bread and fish and you can bet they loved him. Oh man, (laughs) free food. I was watching a basketball game the other day. My calves were blowing out the Wizards, and the Wizards fans were cheering at the end of the game. You know why they were cheering? There was a Cleveland Cavalier on the free throw line, and they had a thing going, if a Cleveland Cavalier would miss two free throws in a row, they all got free Chick-fil-A. 
I'm down 40, but I'm cheering because I might get Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's what this crowd was doing, free food. Oh, man, keep it coming, Jesus. But then he got up and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. You don't see that verse on many church billboards, do you? And look, it says on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Many of them began to grumble. Many of them left. The thing about Jesus is you don't see him working real hard to chase him down. Come back. I'll make more bread. I'll make more fish. And sometimes that's what the church falls into the trap of. We speak the gospel and people are offended and we try to try to cozy it up a little bit. Cut some corners off it so that we can fill the room. Jesus didn't do that. He looked at those around him. Verse 66, it says, many of them turned back and no longer followed him. He looked at those closest to him. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? You know what Simon Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. What a contrast. Those other ones were like, he's preaching weird stuff. Now I am out of here. We're going to get eat, up, eat alive if we say we hang with this guy. His disciples said no. You have the words of eternal life. How will you respond to the word of God this morning? Some profess belief, but when you get into the real truth of the gospel, it's not real belief at all. Others genuinely believe and then turn away. Does Jesus let go of those who genuinely believe? No way. I read Romans 8. Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. All right? How many of you know it's possible for, for someone to grow up in a church, give their life to Jesus, fall into a, a covenant of salvation with him that he will never revoke, and then go away to college and, and hear some information that causes them to question and even turn away for a season from, from what they believed growing up? How many of you know that's possible? Sometimes people genuinely believe, and then they turn away from the parts of God's word that conflict with the culture because they know they'll take heat for what the culture says. We, we saw this this week. Someone who used to be a mega church pastor wrote many books that probably many of us read at the time. He's now a spiritual advisor on the Oprah Winfrey Network with his own show. And he said this this week. He says, the church's acceptance of gay marriage is inevitable. I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. He says the church's acceptance of gay marriage is inevitable. I think culture is already there and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. Matt Moore is a Christian blogger. 
defines himself as an ex-gay, and, and he wrote this. He said, The things that Rob Bell and Oprah Winfrey and the likes of them are saying regarding same-sex marriage do not to any degree represent the true body of Christ. What's our response? He says, let's pray for them so that they might change. Let's pray that God would so radically transform them that their influence could be used for God-exalting truth and not man-exalting evils. You see what happened? Rob Bell put himself against the word of God and he elevated himself way too high and put the word of God way too low. You know what God's word says in Isaiah 40? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. That's what God says. Now you contrast that, someone who looks at the unpopular teachings of God's word and hides from them to the 21 Egyptian Christians on that beach. Bishop Mina over there said that in the moment of their barbaric execution, some of those Christians were mouthing the words, Lord Jesus Christ. I look at the contrast and I say, how will I respond? to the word of God when the persecution hits. He said the name of Jesus was the last word on their lips. The next verse. Seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Again, I'm open to the possibility that this could be someone who professes faith but isn't really a believer and is, is led astray by these things. But I'm, I'm also very open to the possibility, I've watched my own life, <laughs> that even as a believer, these things can become a huge distraction, can't they? Now, the worries often hit us when we're in a trial. The riches often become a struggle when we're doing well. And the pleasures, when comfort becomes our number one priority, the King James says they bring no fruit to maturity. It gives, that version gives the picture that maybe there's some fruit, but it's just green and sour and <laughs> a little bit nasty because these other things have taken precedence over Jesus. Or maybe it's just that we're trying to keep Jesus and those other things mixed together. Like, I'm just going to throw Jesus in this pot, mix it all up. Like, we're trying to live in both, keep them both important, right? Alexander McLaren said, do you know, know what that's like? You ever see a kid next to a curb, puts one feet, foot up on the curb and the other one on the parking lot and he walks? You know, that kid's trying to walk on two planes, right? And it's a lot of fun if you're just playing around, but it's not really good if you're trying to get somewhere. He says, that's what it's like when we say, hey, I love you, Jesus, but you know what? All this other stuff's right there with you. You're not really above it. You're just in the mix. We, you, we can't grow like that. We can't produce mature fruit. And he went on to say it even, even harder. He said, if Christian men and women permit as much of their interest and affection and effort and occupation of mind to go out towards the world as most of us do, no wonder if the tiny yellow 
rather than green blade is choked and gets covered with parasitical disease and perhaps dies at last. You cannot grow two crops on one field. Some of us have tried. It will never do. It must be one thing or another, and we must make up our minds whether we're going to cultivate corn or thorn. Dear brethren, it's not enough to say I've received the word into my heart. There's another question besides that. Has the word received into your heart cast out the thorns? Now, I would say looking at life realistically as a believer, there are many times in my life where I have some corn and some thorn, but his point is well taken. You want to have a fertile crop that's producing well. You get rid of the weeds. I've talked about my backyard many times. It's a seven-year project. We're on year seven. I can tell you this much. You can put as much fertilizer on it as you want, but if you don't put some weed killer on it, those weeds are going to kill that green, and the weeds are going to take over. It's it's not an either-or. It's a both and. He goes on to the final seed. He says, The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Hear, retain, persevere. Warren Wiersbe said, Faith is not a matter of IQ or education. It's a matter of humbly preparing the heart to receive God's truth. And we know ultimately that's God's, God's work, isn't it? And there's some good news in all of this. As Justin and I talked at Del Taco this week, he brought out some great points. You know, some of us may be looking at this and say, man, this morning I'm finding myself at one or, or at two or at three. How do, I, how do I get to that four level soil, level four soil? And the answer is we can't do it on our own. All right. Okay. God is the one through the Holy Spirit who prepares our hearts to receive his word. You remember the point we brought out earlier that the seed was often scattered first and then the plowing happened? (laughs) Now think about your life. How many of us like getting plowed by the trials? The the hardship. (laughs) Nobody's raising their hand. The anguish. But aren't those usually the things that through the pain, through the plowing, our our hearts become soft and and receptive? Not just making that up. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. If you were sleeping, you're awake now because you're like, James, what in the world are you saying? I got trials of many kinds right now and pure joy is the last thought on my mind. What are you talking about, James? He said, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Isn't that one of the characteristics of the good heart? Hears it, retains it, perseveres. The plowing enables that seed to go in. Now here's our part. Let perseverance finish its work. That's a command. We have a choice <laughs> when that plowing starts. We can say, uh-uh, God, I'm tired of this. I'm out of here. You've allowed this. I'm turning my back on you and just going my own way. You can do that. 
shut down the process. He says, don't do that. Let it finish its work. Be humble. Trust in me even with your questions and your pain so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's good to hold on to when we're being plowed, isn't it? God has good plans in mind for his kids. He wants to produce fruit through our lives. Hebrews calls it a harvest of peace and righteousness. And here's the thing. I don't think that peace and righteousness is only for the people around us. I think it's a blessing for us if we'll let him do his work in us. A couple closing thoughts. The good farmer scatters his seed everywhere. I want to ask us this morning, are we scattering the seed anywhere? I hope so. I hope that in our individual lives and our missional communities, we're out there scattering the seed. The good news that Jesus came and died for our sins rose again to set us free. Spread the news everywhere. Second one, not everyone who you share the gospel with will believe. And not all will be fruitful. Now, on first glance, let me say, that's discouraging. <laughs> but you know what? Doesn't it match reality? We, we said he's setting the expectations for the 12. He's setting the expectations for us too. If you're faithfully spreading the word and not everybody's believing, guess what? You're in good company because that's what Jesus said would happen. Neil Cole wrote a book called Organic Church. He said, one might find this parable discouraging as only one of the four soils actually bears fruit. He says, I find it encouraging and life-affirming because it reflects my true experience. This has given me hope. <laughs> Why? Because I no longer feel responsible for the fruit or lack thereof in the lives of disciples. Some of us are carrying a weight we weren't meant to carry. We see the same pattern in the lives of the 12. He's, we'll get into it more when we get there. But when they go out on their mission, he says, if they don't receive you in their, in their town, leave. He doesn't say stay there and keep ramming it down their throats. Keep spreading. Go elsewhere. Don't be discouraged this morning uh, if, if you scattered seed and it hasn't been received yet because that plowing often comes after. It often comes after. I look at uh, Louis Zamparini. Many of you have seen the movie Unbroken, read the book. I read that book. It's so amazing. Yeah, Scott said they don't make them like that much anymore. That's, that's the way you come away from that book. And I also come away saying, wow, the end of his life, he came back after surviving a Japanese POW camp and tortures you couldn't imagine being stranded at sea. He comes back here, and after overcoming all that, he succumbs to alcoholism, and his marriage is falling apart, his, his field's being plowed, and his wife drags him to a Billy Graham conference in the 1940s in Los Angeles and he gave his life to the Lord. My guess is in 1940s America, he had heard the seed before. <laughs> it was common knowledge for many back then. But it was the plowing that opened him to receive it. Perhaps decades after he heard it the first time. That gives us hope, right, for those people we scattered the seed to. I think about our town right now. I, the cultivation that's going on in our town. The pain we've been through the past couple years. We stood on the square 
Wednesday night and saw between one and 2,000 people who left their schedules, came down there, and stood there during the truth of Jesus being preached, the hope of Jesus, the love of Jesus. I think our town's being cultivated and, and we've got the seed. It's been planted and for many it's, it's being received. I want to close by reiterating the John Quincy Adam quote. You remember it? If you do, say it with me. Duty is ours. Results are God's. Thank you for that, Jay. <laughs> Father, I just look at this parable and uh, I thank you, Jesus, that, that before you sent those 12 out, you set realistic expectations for them for how it was going to go, Lord. And you set those for us too. It's kind of freeing. Our job is to scatter the seed. Lord, may we be a people that, that do that regularly in our workplaces, through our missional communities, in our, in our neighborhoods. Lord, and we, we pray that you would do your work of cultivating, causing growth. Father, if we're honest, a lot of us look at this this morning and say, I relate a lot more to one, two, or three than number four. Lord, I just pray that you do our work and your work in our hearts too. You're not done with us. You're, you don't give up on what you start. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So Lord, I just pray that you would work that humility in our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, there may be some here who have pridefully rejected it on the hard path, Lord. I pray that you'd break that soil this morning. Help them to give their lives to Jesus, to trust in Him as their Savior, their hope, their life. To come to Him and say, now that you've saved me, I want you to be my master. I want to walk in your paths. Father, there may be some here facing some persecution this morning for their faith. And at this point, it may be just verbal a little exclusion from some friendships. Sometimes that hurts awfully. And I pray for those on that line this morning that you would help them to choose your word above the world around us. And Father, anyone weighed down by worries this morning, I pray that you'd help us to bring them to your feet Lay him down. He tells us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. You'll take care of our needs. Help us to trust that. If it's riches this morning distracting any of us. Father, we, we look to you as the one who's blessed us and, and pray that you'd help us to fix our perspective. These things are gifts. They're not God. They're blessings given to be a blessing to our world. We thank you for them. Help us not to worship them. Father, the pleasures, Lord. I know if these people are like me, we, we gravitate towards comfort. 
And sometimes we need rest and comfort. But other times you call us to hard things in the power of the Spirit. I pray that we'd say yes. And Father, I just pray for our community as I believe there's a lot of cultivation going on. Pray that the seeds of the gospel would be received. Lord, that at large events on the square and in our individual lives, that seed would be scattered and that new folks would come to faith in Jesus Christ and be raised up as disciples, be sent out to a world that needs you. Help us be a people who produce a crop 30, 60, 90, 100 times for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.